Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. If this war grows, it's coming to your backyard. A verbal warning shot fired at Tehran. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. That from a bipartisan group of U.S. senators in Israel amid its growing war with Hamas in Gaza and now with Iran-backed Hezbollah taking aim at Israel from Lebanon to the north. Correspondent Ian Lee in Israel. Israeli defense forces say they launched strikes on more than 320 targets in the Gaza Strip overnight. They also continue to exchange fire with Iran-backed Hezbollah fighters near the northern border shared with Lebanon. The fighting there is fanning fears that the conflict could expand. The possibility of that expansion drew this from U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. If any group or any country is looking to widen this conflict and take advantage of this very unfortunate uh, situation that we see, our advice is don't. Austin, speaking on ABC's This Week, says the U.S. is sending more missile defense systems to counter growing threats from Iran and its allies. Also, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Strike Group is joining up with the USS Gerald Ford Carrier Strike Group in the eastern Mediterranean Sea to bolster U.S. capabilities in the region. Meantime, as Israel's war cabinet greenlights an expected ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, the White House is asking Israel to hold off a little while longer while it works to try to free hostages held by Palestinian militants. FBI Director Christopher Wray. We're going to work closely with our Israeli partners, our U.S. Embassy partners, the whole U.S. government to do whatever we can to ensure that those hostages come out safe. But but make no mistake, this is a dangerous time. Wray speaking on CBS's 60 Minutes. The latest estimate puts the number of Hamas hostages at 222, including 11 Americans. Next to Washington, where House Republicans are set to meet tonight in their latest efforts to finally find a speaker. The position's been vacant since Republicans ousted Speaker Kevin McCarthy October 3rd, bringing congressional action to a virtual standstill. Tonight, lawmakers will hold a candidate forum to hear from nine new Republican speaker candidates. McCarthy's backing House Majority Whip Tom Emmer. We got a wide open southern border. We got crushing inflation. We got war in the Middle East. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. Texas Congressman Mike McCall. If we don't have a Speaker of the House, we can't govern. And every day goes by, we're essentially shut down as a government. Some fear the Speaker impasse could delay key legislation, such as aid to Israel and Ukraine, but the chair of the House Intelligence Committee is banking on that not happening. It looks like it'll be about two weeks before that package comes out of the Senate itself, and certainly we all hope we'll have a Speaker by that. Ohio Republican Mike Turner on CNN. While Republicans try to get their House in order, the Senate's beginning debate on President Biden's proposed $100 billion Israel-Ukraine aid package, though Senator and presidential candidate Tim Scott is among Republicans who want the proposed aid packages for Israel and Ukraine to be separated before he'll vote yes. Leveraging the challenges in the war with Israel to get more assistance for Ukraine at that level of $60 billion is too much. Elsewhere this day, Ohio's governor, Mike DeWine, is urging voters there to reject a proposed constitutional amendment that Buckeye State residents will be deciding on on Election Day, November 7th. Whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, this constitutional amendment that we'll be voting on in a couple weeks just goes way, way too far. DeWine says issue one, if approved, would permit abortion in Ohio at any time during a pregnancy. So what's up with the now five-week-old United Auto Workers strike? (laughs) 
with nearly 34,000 auto workers on strike. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain said Friday, Celantis and General Motors proposed a record 23% wage increase, matching Ford's earlier offer, but the union wants 40%. Every time they make an offer, it's a record offer. And then two days later, there's a new record. CBS's Danya Back is reporting so far the direct impact on thousands of UAW members here in the listening area has remained minimal. Check that credit card bill lately. A new survey finds that credit card interest rates are up way up. We found that the average retail credit card APR has hit a record high of 28.93%. That's really a staggeringly high rate, although it's worth noting that many retail cards actually charge over 30%. Ted Rossman with Bankrate.com. It was not a good weekend for Michigan State University Athletics, losing to rival University of Michigan. 49 zip was bad enough, but Michigan State University officials also find themselves profusely apologizing after a photo of Adolf Hitler was displayed on the stadium video board during pregame activities at Saturday's football game. The image was shown as part of a trivia question. A school spokesperson says the material was provided by a third-party source that the university will no longer be using. And things have also not been going well for an Atlanta homeowner, or should we say former homeowner. Susan Hodgson returned from a vacation last month and found a home she owned in Atlanta had been demolished. The company was responsible admits it was a mistake. A police report's been filed and legal action could be next. CBS's Steve Kathan just can't imagine. Still to come on the Noon Report, keep those skis in the closet for now, will ya? A warm-up is headed our way. Protest and prayers in the listening area over the Middle East War. And a happy reunion for some Pennsylvania preemies and those who gave them life-saving care. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. Now that skies have been clearing, we're on our way to a big warm-up over the next several days. I'll have forecast details coming up in 10. Oh, music to my ears, Kevin. Thank you. Now checking the stories, making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. As Kevin just alluded to, it's kind of nice out there and it's going to get even nicer. Spectrum News meteorologist Samantha LaRock says the sun is coming back and it's here to stay a while. As we look through the work week, we are staying dry, above average temperatures for multiple days in a row. Some of us getting back into the 70s by Tuesday and we're going to stay in the 70s for multiple days. Yeah, those high temperatures might actually linger into the early part of next week. Kevin will update your forecast just a little bit later in this newscast. News out of Rochester this morning of a collision between a school bus and a car. The kids on the bus were shaken up a bit but uninjured. Witnesses though say the driver of the Hyundai, which rolled over, fled the scene, his face bleeding. Police are still on the lookout for him. Two men were struck and killed by a vehicle in the Tompkins County town of Newfield over the weekend. New York State Police say the double fatal accident began when Patrick Robinson of Ithaca lost control of his motorcycle on wet pavement along Route 13 Friday evening. Matthew Poplowski of Schenectady stopped to help him. Then both men were struck by a car driven by a man from Illinois. Police say he is cooperating with their investigation and that alcohol and drugs don't appear to be factors in the crash. Dozens of protesters took part in a pro-Palestinian rally yesterday at the Pennsylvania State Capitol, demanding a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. Gaza is just um, being decimated. This is about humanity. You either stand with humanity or you don't. It's that simple. The demonstrators say it's not a Jewish or Muslim issue, just a humanitarian issue. Meantime, at the Islamic Center of Rochester, New York, an interfaith gathering offering prayers for peace. Here's what some of those faith leaders had to say to WROC. We're here to recreate new love in a situation that has wrecked peace. Interfaith 
alliances are part of the heart and fabric of the Rochester community. And here we are greeting each other with hugs and prayers. And across the world, we're greeting each other with bombs, bullets, and rhetoric. It's all about staying united. Give our thoughts, you know, peace is the most important thing. War is not a solution. That prayer gathering held on Sunday at Rochester's Islamic Center. Since COVID, a quarter million New Yorkers have left the Empire State for greener pastures. Family Life's Jeremy Miller. Yeah, new U.S. Census Bureau figures show an estimated 244,000 people left New York between 2021 and 2022, and most blame high taxation and cost of living. Florida and other Sunbelt states get the relocation lion's share, but New Yorkers are now heading to neighboring states such as New Jersey and Connecticut, which have the same issues as the Empire State. Experts say the trend could be prompted by the pandemic-era shift toward remote work. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Steuben County District Attorney Brooks Baker says fentanyl is still the drug of choice for dealers these days and not just a big city problem. He calls it an epidemic at the local level, too. A new and scary trend. I mean, we've heard about fentanyl being put in everything because it is so potent and so addictive. I mean, heroin is almost gone. Almost all heroin is fentanyl these days. Baker says fentanyl is added to other drugs to make them more addictive. The consequence, also more deadly. More Motown for Binghamton. Delta Airlines says it's resuming flights between Binghamton and Detroit starting in January. Tickets are already on sale for those flights. On the downside, though, for southern-tier travelers, Delta is also discontinuing its current daily connection flight from Binghamton to New York City's LaGuardia Airport. Pennsylvanians now have a more personal stake in the ongoing search in the House of Representatives for a new speaker to succeed Kevin McCarthy. Northeast PA Congressman Dan Muser has thrown his hat into the ring, along with eight other fellow Republicans. Muser is a member of the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus. I'm a conservative problem solver, but by compromising too much, you give up the majority that the, that the people gave us. Uh, we need to lead as a majority, and we need to elect, elect our speaker as the majority. Muser says he feels each of the nine candidates on the current list would be a good Speaker of the House. Members will hear from each of them tonight and then begin the process of trying to whittle it down to one viable electable candidate. Governor Josh Shapiro's office has agreed to pay $295,000 in public money to settle a sexual harassment complaint. It was brought against one of his most trusted advisors, Mike Verb, who abruptly resigned from his job as Shapiro's liaison to the state legislature. A spokesperson for the state treasury says roughly $45,000 will be paid by the governor's office, while the state's employee liability insurance program will cover the rest. A Franklin, Pennsylvania priest took on a popular fall community event. The city's retail association sponsors a so-called witch walk every fall, featuring costume contests and a parade of people in witch costumes. While participants call it nothing more than harmless fall fun, Father James Campbell of St. Patrick's Church does not. He organized a prayer vigil to counter the occult-themed event. It was a call to action, faithful citizenship, and... Also, a warning against the occult and the real danger that it presents. The church event offered up prayers of deliverance for those taking part in that so-called witch walk. And a heartwarming gathering in Music, Pennsylvania this weekend for parents whose children owe their very lives to the care received at Geisinger, Wyoming Valley, and those who provided that care. They gathered at PNC Field. They brought together for a 
They got together for a party, but also for much more than that. NICU operations manager Melissa Williams tells WNEP. We just think it's really important to bring our families back together so that we can see our babies, how they've grown, and our nurses get to see you know, all the hard work that they put into giving them great medical care. Parent Kristen Schwaha understands better than most. She's a NICU nurse and also mother to a baby who had to spend some time in the life-saving unit. We decided that this might be a really nice thing to come to, to celebrate him and his triumphs, but also to help us kind of put that traumatic experience behind us. One NICU team member noted it's gratifying for staff who saw the kids at their very worst and now get to see them at their very best. Well, who was at their very worst and best in sports over the weekend? Let's find out. Here's Randy. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Mark, there will be a Game 7 in the American League Championship Series as the Texas Rangers spanked the Houston Astros last night 9-2. Adolis Garcia put the game out of reach, hitting a granny in the ninth inning. Also going deep for the Rangers, Jonah Heim and Mitch Garver. The pennant will be decided tonight in Houston. In Foxborough, the New England Patriots marched down the field in the game's final minute and scored the go-ahead touchdown with 12 seconds to play and they upset the Buffalo Bills 29 to 25. It was Bill Belichick's career win number 300. Josh Allen was 21 of 47 for 265 yards and two touchdowns but also threw a costly pick in the loss. The New York Giants defense stepped up in a big way stopping the Washington Commanders in the game's final minute to snap a four-game losing streak 14 to 7 the final the Giants D six sacks and an interception they are now two and five on the season the Steelers Jalen Warren and Nadja Harris both ran in fourth quarter touchdowns to lift Pittsburgh over the LA Rams 24 to 17 with a score knotted at 17 late in the third quarter Jalen Hurts hooked up with AJ Brown on a 14 yard strike and the Eagles went on to beat the Dolphins 31 to 17. Brown finished with 137 receiving yards as Philadelphia moves to 6-1 on the season. Other winners, the Bears, Browns, Falcons, Ravens, Seahawks, Broncos, and Chiefs. To NASCAR, Christopher Bell has joined Kyle Larson as the first two to qualify for the next stage of the playoffs. Bell took on the checkered flag in Florida. Ryan Blaney second, Tyler Reddick third. And on the ice, the Red Wings and Bruins both picked up victories. That is a look at sports. All right, thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, an update on the growing war in the Middle East, a baseball team's worth of new candidates for House Speaker, and class is in session as Dr. Ralph Kerr tackles the top topics on issues in education. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. A recent episode of the Daily Podcast from the New York Times ominously warned, quote, the mosquitoes are winning. Mosquitoes, believe it or not, are mankind's deadliest predators, carrying disease that results in over 219 million infections and 400,000 deaths every single year. And even that number is dramatically reduced from previous highs. Highly effective efforts to combat malaria through bed nets, vaccines, and insecticides have reduced global deaths by more than a third. 
Today, however, the world's deadliest insect is making a comeback of sorts. A new breed of mosquito, known as Anepheles stevensi, known to researchers as Steve, has adapted to evade old methods of pest control. Not only does it reproduce year-round and in water as shallow as a bottle cap, it lives primarily in cities rather than in more rural areas. Between 2019 and 2021, global malaria deaths rose by 8% primarily because Steve's range expanded from Asia into Africa. Ponce's is a collection of writings from Blaise Pascal that were found and compiled after his death. Many of the writings that can be found in Ponce's are responses to the skeptics of his age. He especially wrote about the failure of those skeptics to grasp the human person. In one of his best-known passages, he wrote this, quote, Man is but a reed, the most feeble thing in nature, but he is a thinking reed. The entire universe need not arm itself to crush him. A vapor, a drop of water suffices to kill him. But if the universe were to crush him, man would still be more noble than that which killed him because he knows that he dies and the advantage which the universe has over him. The universe knows nothing of this. End quote. Despite his young faith, Pascal brilliantly articulated humanity's value, as well as our complex relationship with the rest of the creation. His words stand in contrast to both pagan thinkers, who thought of humanity as subject to the whims of capricious deities, and to the utopian idealist of his age, who believed that man would soon fully master nature. Today as well, there are different views of the human person that emerge from different worldviews. Philosophical naturalists tend to see human beings as merely animals shaped only by instinct and desire. Eastern pantheists tend to think of human beings as part of the divine oneness that includes all things. You might say that for the atheist, humans are nothing but animals. For the New Ager, humans are gods. The truth, according to scripture, is that we're made in the image of God, but we often act like animals. And even the smallest living things, including mosquitoes, can remind us of our fragility. Contrary to the promises of transhumanism, we'll always be forced to reckon with human frailty, both in our mortality and in our morality. Yet, our situation is not hopeless. We alone, among all of God's creation, have the capacity to shape the world around us. The mosquito story is case in point. Malaria vaccines exist, but need better methods of transportation and delivery to be fully effective. Better infrastructure could reduce the amount of stale standing water, but building that requires capital supported by a robust private sector. Research and strategies that could improve things dramatically are often bogged down by government regulations. Well, even more, Christians know the end of the whole story, and that is that God restores all things on earth as it is in heaven. So, as thinking reads, fragile and powerful, we have every reason to continue to do our best to advance good, to reduce evil, and to restore God's world in whatever ways that we can. But still, I wish Noah had just squashed those two mosquitoes. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Casey Leander. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. All right, now let's check the forecast. Here's meteorologist Kevin Williams. Here's your Family Life Regional weather forecast. It's going to stay cool this afternoon, but we'll have ultimately a good deal of sunshine where the skies have not already cleared and they have cleared in many areas. High temperatures ranging in the low to mid-50s. For tonight, partly cloudy. A little frost for some. Low temps, 30s and low 40s tomorrow. A good helping of sunshine. Warmer, much warmer. High temps, 60s and near 70. Some sun on Wednesday and warm with high temperatures not far from 70. 
That sounds pretty nice to my ears. Thank you very much, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. Thank you again for joining us. Let's recap a couple of the top stories this day. Of course, the top one is the Middle East. The fighting continues for Israel in what Fox correspondent Trey Yink says is now clearly a two-front war for the Jewish state. 320 different targets were hit inside Gaza overnight. They've also been launching a number of incursions into Gazan territory and an effort to try and destroy any of the Hamas or Islamic Jihad positions that are along the border. There are reports today that the Israeli war cabinet has green-lighted a full-scale ground invasion of Gaza, though it hasn't happened as of now. A third convoy of humanitarian aid has rolled into Gaza from Egypt, but the constant Israeli pounding continues to take a toll on Palestinian civilians caught in the crossfire, like this man. There is no safe space in all Gaza. The strikes yesterday in Khan Yunis were different than any other night, and thank God we are still here. Israeli defense forces continue a strategic combination of shelling, aerial bombardment, and limited ground raids aimed at softening up Hamas strongholds before that ground invasion. But U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says eventually IDF forces are going to have to face a formidable foe head-on in their own backyard. This may be a bit more difficult because of the underground network of tunnels they've had a long time to, uh, to prepare for a fight. I think uh, you'll see a fight is characterized by a lot of IEDs, a lot of booby traps. Also caught up in all of that, of course, an estimated 222 Hamas hostages taken in their initial October 7th terror raids into Israel. Their numbers include 11 Americans, but most are Israelis whose families want their government to prioritize their safe return. Chanting the Hebrew word for now, family members of hostages held by Hamas in Gaza demanded action after meeting with Israel's president in Jerusalem. We're screaming to anybody who will listen, let in the medical care and bring all 200 of these people home to their families. Correspondent Tina Krauss reporting, President Biden has also asked Israel to hold off on invasing, invading Gaza while it works to free as many hostages as possible. The New York Times reports the administration also wants to buy more time to prepare for possible attacks on U.S. targets as Israel's war with Hamas continues and expands. Well, another hot spot in the world, Ukraine. Russian forces have struck one of that country's thermal power plants. The attack on DTEK's energy facility comes after the company announced a few days ago that it had imported over 38,000 metric tons of coal from Poland in preparation for the winter when Russia is expected to begin targeting Ukraine's critical energy infrastructure. The U.S. have allocated $522 million to purchase energy equipment to protect the country's energy infrastructure. Megumi Lim, Kiev. Well, back to Washington now. Nine possible answers to one big question before the House of Representatives. Who should be the next speaker? There are nine new candidates to be the next speaker of the House. All of them men, seven of them members of the Conservative Republican Study Committee. One of the candidates, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, is endorsed by Kevin McCarthy. Scott McFarland reporting the pack of nine includes Pennsylvania's Dan Muser. Everyone on that list would make a good speaker. Uh, but what we need here is, I mean, I do bring a lot of experience to this, a lot of time in the private sector, served as revenue secretary uh, in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Tomorrow's vote will be a vote for unity, and the individual who's the speaker needs to be able to keep that unity. There doesn't seem to be a clear favorite yet. Members will hear from all nine speaker candidates tonight. There's word that New Jersey Democratic Senator 
Bob Menendez will plead not guilty at his arraignment later today in Manhattan Federal Court. Menendez charged with conspiring to act as a foreign agent of the Egyptian government from 2018 to 2022 while chairing the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays, during the Noon Report, we spotlight the issues impacting our schools with Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute. Ralph, welcome back to the program. Sir, trust you had a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Bob. Great to be with you again. And it's great to have you back on. We took a week off last week, so there's a lot to get to. It piles up if you don't stay (laughs) on it. But uh, before uh, October gives way to November, we want to just brag on our school board members for a minute because October is School Board Member Appreciation Month or Recognition Month. It's one of those two. But uh, talk for a minute, Ralph, if you would, about the vital role that school board members play when it comes to the education of our children. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Bob. There are 95,000 Board of Education members across the whole country, and some people say this is the most thankless yet rewarding position that an individual can take on. Districts are supervised by the board in terms of how their funds are spent, the important role of developing and holding up policies. And I might just say that later this week, the New York State School Boards Association is meeting for their annual convention in Buffalo. That's always a good time for board members to get together and be trained in what's happening in districts across the state and the country. Yeah, and at the end of this program, we always ask for your website, and it's whyrun.org. And people ask me all the time, what does that mean, whyrun.org? And the whole purpose to that is why run for your local school board, because that is why you exist, is to get good Christians involved in our public schools. And Ralph, it is such a vital and necessary thing. Uh, If we want to change our communities, that is how it starts. Uh, One thing we need to do a better job at is changing ACT scores, Ralph, because they are the lowest they've been since. Since 1991, what's to blame for this? Well, there are plenty of blame to go around. This continues to be an outcome of the COVID pandemic. Although I have to tell you, Bob, I'm not really that concerned about it. 36% of the graduating seniors took the test, and that's down from 58% in 2016. Many colleges are not even asking for test scores, either from the ACT or the SATs. I don't know about you, but if I don't need to take a test, I won't do it. And I think that's what's happening. And uh, unfortunately, those people that are taking it are, are not doing that well. I think all the fuss that's been made over this has really been made by the company that produces the ACTs. And my suspicion is that they're concerned that their test may just go away at some point. All right, moving on. Uh, parent-teacher conference season is always a pleasant time. I had my first encounter last week. It went over pretty well. And as I was sitting there talking to this earth science teacher in Corning, New York, a wonderful man, I was thinking, hey, uh, what are some good questions that parents can ask when they go into that parent-teacher conference? Ralph, what would you suggest? Well, Well, it is important that parents be prepared and that they not just let the teacher dominate the conversation. Here are some questions that you might start with. Is my child performing on grade level? Uh, What are my child's academic strengths? And if there are weaknesses, what are they? 
And then important these days are questions like, how's my child doing socially and emotionally? And then it's vitally important that if in your home some stuff is going on, like maybe a divorce or there's some serious illness or there's going to be a new baby in the home, that would be good to communicate that as well to the teacher so that if the child begins to act a little differently than they have in the past, the teacher might have some frame of reference to understand that a little bit better. Great advice there, Ralph. Finally, Cornell University professor named Russell Rickford is under fire for calling the recent Hamas attack on Israel exhilarating and energizing. Cornell called those comments reprehensible. Ralph, now there's debate. Should the professor be fired by that Ivy League school? What are your thoughts? Well, it is interesting. I mean, their top leaders really condemned this professor, and students have ended up calling for his firing. They've had over 1,400 signatures on a petition that says his comments were inappropriate, offensive, and divisive. But here's the fact. He's a tenured professor, and even though you and I might think firing is appropriate, I really doubt that that will happen. I think it will just blow over. But I'm glad that people are making a fuss over his comments, and I hope that it may cause him to be more careful in the future. All right, we always got to call out hate wherever we see it. The anti-Semitism that we're seeing on a lot of campuses cause for great concern. Hey, we've been a lot of places the last five minutes, Ralph. If folks have questions about any of the topics discussed on today's program, where can they find you, Ralph Kerr? Well, as you mentioned, Bob, it's simply whyrun.org, whyrun.org. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. Issues in Education airs Mondays during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Just ahead, it arrived in music lovers' pockets 22 years ago today. iPod. A thousand songs in your pocket. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. Well, we're ridding ourselves now of that November-like weather pattern we saw yesterday and last night with clouds showers, breezes, and chill, and higher pressure in Michigan. We'll see to it that not only uh, are the skies clearing, but the air will be warming nicely as well. It's going to stay cool this afternoon, but we'll have ultimately a good deal of sunshine where the skies have not already cleared, and they have cleared in many areas. High temperatures ranging in the low to mid-50s. For tonight, partly cloudy. A little frost for some. Low temps, 30s and low 40s. Tomorrow, a good helping of sunshine and warmer, much warmer. High temps, 60s and near 70. Some sun on Wednesday and warm with high temperatures not far from 70. Oh, you warm my heart. Thank you very much, Kevin. Finally at noon. There's something really cool happening where music and this whole digital world that we live in are starting to come together. And come together they did. 22 years ago today, Apple, months after the release of its new iTunes software, followed up with the first of what would be 400 million iPods. Apple tech genius, the late Steve Jobs, was disappointed with the large, clunky MP3 players of the day, so he hired a guy to come up with something better. That was Anthony Michael Fidel, now known as the father of the iPod. The first iPod sold for 399 bucks. The name iPod, inspired by this famous line from the movie 2001. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Yeah, just like the HAL 9000 pulled the plug on poor Dave, in May of last year, Apple pulled the plug on the iPod Touch, the last model in the iPod line, replaced by the do-it-all iPhone. Time for us to pull the plug as well. That's the world we live in for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. As always, thank you very much for listening. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. 
You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.